Welcome to C3 Church, Queens Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoyed this message today. You know, this is the time of year with Christmas coming that people are actually likely to visit church and to something that you've invited them to say yes to an invitation. So as Christmas approaches, I thought it'd be useful for us to revisit this thing that is so precious to God, the church. So when you hear the word church, what images and thoughts spring to mind? Is it generally a positive thing or something else? Do you think of giant cathedrals like you might see in different places, especially in Europe, or institutions, a small hut? Or do you think of people? You know, God has always had a plan and a pattern right back in the beginning of the Old Testament of how he would spend time with his people. From the beginning, he was meeting with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was walking with them daily. And then we see families established. And then you see them in different times building altars and honouring God and making a covenant to worship him. And we see the tribes of Israel formed and the Jewish faith. And then we see that God had the Ark of the Covenant because he wanted to dwell with his people. And then he had the temple built. And today, it's the church. That's how God comes and meets with his people. And the church known as the Ecclesia was started in Acts, in Acts 11.26. And then we also see that in Acts 11, that's when we were first called Christians. It says, For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So the church looked different, quite different to what it had been before. Jesus had come to the earth. In Acts 2.41, said those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wasn't the church established on such great foundations? This was so different to what they had done in the past. But unfortunately, through the generations, through the centuries and the dark ages, a lot of this was lost. It was replaced by traditions, the traditions that weren't actually biblical principles. But at different times, praise God, there was revelation, there was reformation, and so many things from the Word of God were brought back into the church and established in there. We see full immersion water baptism as it is biblically. That was established again in the church as people had revelation. Communion, that we can all take communion. Jesus said, every time you gather, take it. Um, reading the Bible for ourselves, we have the Word of God that we're actually encouraged to read for ourselves and to know what it says. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues and have that. There's so many things that have been established in the church. And these were established in the early years of the church. And also in Acts, we see that people were allocated to look after one another, to look after the orphans and the widows. Acts 6.1 says, Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, 
It would be not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. It's such an important thing that we're looking after one another. And James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So from a Christian's point of view, church is where we gather together corporately to worship, to give back to God. In the Old Testament, they came and they brought their sacrifices, their tithes and their offerings, and they came to worship him. You know, and God does so much for us, and our church services bless us and help us grow. They encourage us in our walk with God. We can be prayed for, we have communion. But, you know, worship, when we come together, that's the one thing that we do for God. He already knows the sermon. He's, he knows what I'm going to say. He doesn't need to hear that. But worship, he can't do that for himself. You know, can you just imagine him? It would be a little bit weird going, I adore me, I adore me, I adore me, oh, me. Like that would just be weird, right? But God wants you to come in worship. That's why we have kids' church registration at 9.50. Get in there, get your kids registered and settled. So we're all here at ready before 10 o'clock to start. Gosh, that would encourage the worship team, wouldn't it? If there were some people here who were singing, that would be great. Because it's not about us. Let's come in, put God first, hello, and worship him. Come into his presence. That's what we need to do. We come in with gratitude and honour. I believe that's why the Lord's Prayer starts off with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're coming and we're giving him the glory you know, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. This is an honour. This is an amazing opportunity. We are so blessed in this nation that we can freely do that. And we can just be so blasé and glib about it. Oh, I don't think I'll come today. I've got to, I might do a picnic or go to the beach. Wow, we get to come together in the presence of God as a church. It's amazing. And we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. We come in to his courts with praise. And as a pastor and leader... Our job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Being a paid pastor isn't the definition of ministry. It's what we all do in our everyday life. God has placed us in unique circles with our family and our friends and in our community, unique circles of influence. And we get the skills and infilling here on the Sunday at the church to complete our ministry effectively and with greater fruitfulness out in the community. So that's how we see it. But how does society view the church? We've got a little vox pop here to have a look at. See, you might see some different views on church. Wow, that's a hodgepodge, isn't it? But that's what society is like. All these different views, misconceptions of the church and how it is. So many emotions and thoughts and attitudes there. So can you recognise any of these perceptions of the church from yourself or from other people that you've met in the community? You see them a lot, don't you? And one of the perceptions that comes up is people in church are hypocrites. I don't know if you've heard that one. I'm sure you have. And it always comes up when you talk to people about their impression of the church. And a recent US survey of adults who don't attend church, not even on holidays, found that 72% think that the church is full of hypocrites. <laughs> like, wow. So what is a hypocrite? 
The term hypocrite came from the world of Greek drama where certain players played more than one role and they indicated their role by putting on a mask in front of their face and that's where the original concept of hypocrisy came from. And Jesus reserved his harshest criticism for the religious leaders of his day, the hypocritical Pharisees. They began well, seeking a life of devoted godliness and submission to the law of God. However, when their behaviour failed to reach their ideals, they pretended they were more righteous than they were to conceal a radical corruption in their lives. They judged others around them too and that's another accusation that's often thrown at the church. And Jesus said in Matthew 23, 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean up the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So, you know, so much for Jesus, meek and mild. Have <laughs> you got that conception? He didn't mince words, right? He's just saying it exactly as it is. And both criticisms highlight the same offence. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were far more concerned with appearing holy, clean and righteous than actually being that way on the inside. They claimed to be speaking to God, but for God, but their actions were actually driving many people away from him. And that's what hypocrisy does. Sometimes there can be unrealistic expectations on Christians. And I've experienced this when chatting with a group of, of mums at school one time and I was complaining, I was disappointed at how someone had treated me and one of the mums piped up and she said, oh wow, and you're supposed to be a Christian. <laughs> I was like, um, just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm a robot and I don't have feelings so I don't get hurt or disappointed. But if I pretend that doesn't worry me, that would make me a hypocrite. And being a Christian doesn't mean that, you know, I, it also means, because I'm a Christian, it means that I try not to sin when I feel that way. So if I get bitter and carry unforgiveness or I'm gossiping, slandering or getting angry or attacking someone, yes, that wouldn't be very Christian. There's a difference. When I mess up, I ask God for forgiveness and then the strength to walk in that. And I love this. When Zig Ziglar once asked a friend to come to church with him, she replied, no, the church is full of hypocrites. And he replied, don't worry, there's always room for one more. <laughs> we can confuse sin or not being perfect with hypocrisy. Yes, the church is full of sinners. It's a prerequisite to being a Christian, <laughs> being aware that you are not perfect. And there, um, it doesn't make you a hypocrite. It just means you continually need salvation and grace and you're not perfect. And there are hypocrites in the church, but it is not full of hypocrites. If we decided we wouldn't go anywhere where there were imperfect or judgmental people or hypocrites, we wouldn't be able to go to most of our workplaces, sporting groups, clubs, playgroups, the gym, educational institutions, parks or shopping centres, right? And frankly, I'm not willing to give up shopping just in case there might be some hypocrites there. <laughs> now, I've been hurt by fellow school mums, but I don't say, right, 
all mums are hypocrites, so I'm not taking my children to school now. So kids, don't try that one on your parents. They're not going to fall for that one. <laughs> Another reason that accusation of hypocrisy can so easily stick on the Christian church is because the moral standard that Jesus set is so high. We Christians are supposed to be loving, kind and gracious, but sometimes we act selfishly. Throughout history, we have many examples also of harm that has been done in the name of the church. The Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition. No one suspects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> many religious wars. I remember in the 1990s, what was happening in the UK with you know the IRA and all of that, all under the name of religion. And what happened in these events does not line up with the teachings of Jesus. That is not Christianity. They brought great harm to many and to the reputation of God and his church. Jesus so clearly said, we love one another, love God and we love people. And that's what we're to live by. And it's important to remind ourselves and others that the church does do so much good. There's a poor representation of God and his church, but the church is displaying loving deeds locally and globally. Through the centuries, it's worked to abolish slavery. It's established hospitals and educational institutions. Many of those things would never have been started. It was the church that did that across the world. And then there's all the church-based charity organisations. Today, we have community service and social justice, which is such a key thing for us as a church to be involved in. And really, society and government shouldn't be propping up the people in need. As we saw biblically, that's the work of the church. That's what we're here for. I've got a list here of some charities. 20 of Australia's 25 biggest welfare agencies are faith-based, including the Salvation Army. You can see this list. This is just a really um, small list, just the tip of the iceberg. You know, there's also Esther's House and many other organisations that you can probably come up with too. There's local churches in this area doing an incredible job. And even in this church alone, we locally, through Beyond, supply volunteers for the Volunteer Task Force, Woodlake um, Elderly Home, Chaplaincy, Samaritan's Purse Shoebox, so many of you involved in that. We do Christmas hampers. And globally, many people support the Adopt and Learner program in Africa. We sponsor Compassion Children in Need. We've in got our in, um, such an investment into Bali Life and India and Jigalong because we're doing what we're called to do. So people mess up in churches. People mess up everywhere. I hurt people and I've been hurt in the church and there's no doubt about it. But church is not for people that have arrived because we're all on a journey and we don't get it right all the time. But you know, we're giving it a crack. And we're doing the best that we can despite being human. And personally, I have seen people in this church make meals for each other help people move house, look after each other's kids, buy food for people in need, bless them with money and gifts, garden for them, drive them around, take them to doctor's appointments, sit by a hospital bedside, visit prisoners, hug, support and encourage, love their neighbour and love those that aren't their neighbour as well. And so when I say the church is doing all this, I'm actually talking about many individual people because the church is not a building or institution. It's people who genuinely love Jesus and are sharing his love with others in practical ways. 
The heart of God is that he is loving, accepting, genuine. And he loves us in an inclusive love that he showed us through giving his son Jesus. And the church reflects that. You can't find such loving deeds on such a global scale elsewhere. The single cause of people becoming atheists may be hypocritical Christians. Perhaps the greatest cause of faith would be authentic, flawed Christians through whom the captivating, redeeming and transforming love of Jesus Christ for our fathers and for others is displayed. So what does God think of the church? He wants us to be as one in unity. So whether or not the church is full of hypocrites or perfect people, whether it's judgmental or accepting, it's boring or irrelevant, we are actually talking about many individual people because that is what the church is. It's God's design and idea. It's the love of his life. It's God's way of describing the millions of people who love and serve him and together doing their best to show his love to others. Not to earn salvation, but because they are so grateful for what he has done for them and want to be more like him. Jesus loved the church so much. He spent most of his time praying for his church, that we would be one. Why? Because it's how we love, how his message of love is going to be passed on and spread around the globe. How disciples are going to be made with the great commission that we read about in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is our work through the church. And so Jesus prayed for the church. In Christ's prayer, we we're given a glimpse into his concerns for the church. So his last night, before he's betrayed, convicted and killed, he prays this prayer because he knows soon his disciples will be responsible for continuing Jesus' message of redemption. So we look at this prayer, we can understand what Jesus desperately wants for his believers. And there's seven things he prays for in John. For eternal life for disciples to have unity, safety from the evil one, that we'd be sanctified in the truth, that all Christians would be unified, that the church would see his glory, and that Jesus would continue to make God's name known. And John 17, 26 said, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This prayer wraps up with Jesus reiterating the same desire for his church to be known by their unity. When we really see how much of his prayer is focused on the importance of the church, unified in mission and love, it changes our perspective. The church is the world's hope of discovering the redemptive love of Christ. Our solidarity helps to confirm the truth of the good news that we share. We see in Jesus' prayer his concern that unity be protected and preserved. And surely we should be doing everything we can to help this prayer come to fruition. In the church is described in many ways. It's described as a body with many parts. We read in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, there is one body with many parts, but all its many parts make up one body. It's the same with Christ, and you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of that. It's a great picture of the church. And he also compares his love for us like that to a bride, the bride of Christ that we're called, and he adores us. 
And Ephesians 5.25, And to the husbands you are to demonstrate love for your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, his bride. For he died for us, sacrificing himself to make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the word of God. All that he does in us is designed to make us a mature church for his pleasure until we become a source of praise to him, glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. Husbands have the obligation of loving and caring for their wives the same way they love and care for their own bodies, for to love your wife is to love your own self. No one abuses his own body, but pampers it, serving and satisfying its needs. That's exactly what Christ does for his church. He serves and satisfies us as members of his body, for this reason, a man is to leave his father and mother and lovingly hold to his wife, since the two have become joined as one flesh. Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery, meant to be a vivid example of Christ and his church. So every man should be gracious to his wife, just as he is gracious to himself, and every wife should be tenderly devoted to her husband." I want to show you a clip of Jay Johns, the canon. Um, he's from England. He's amazing. He's actually preaching at C3 Oxford Falls today. He's been at the Every Woman Conference. Now, he looks a little bit like Mr. Bean. He has a great rubber face like that. But he just gives this beautiful example of Christ and his bride. So we're going to have a look at that. Blood. Remind them of the bride. It's amazing. I can tell. It's like it just burnt in me. I've never thought of that with those images before. I've never entertained them before. I've never. And it was like, blah. The special relationship Jesus has with his church is seen in the terminology the Bible uses to refer to the church. The church is called the bride of Christ, and Christ is the bridegroom. We are the church. And one day, the church will meet her groom, Jesus Christ, the bride, the bride. He is preparing the bride. He's preparing the church. Now, if he came today, if he came tomorrow, what would, what would she be like? What would the bride be like? What would she be like? When we misrepresent her, we say bad things about her. We don't respect her. We don't love her. We don't care for her. We don't speak well of her. We're not proud of her. What would she be like? Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean 
washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without spot. She will be holy without blemish. Are we cleaning her? Are we cleaning the church? Are we preparing the bride to meet the bridegroom? Are we loving her? Do we love the church? Augustine said you cannot, you cannot have God as your father without having the church as your mother. He is preparing the bride. I love the church because Christ is the head of the church. Colossians 1 verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Now, some people say, I love Jesus, but I do not like the church. <laughs> that is not possible. That would be like <laughs> severing the head off. Oh, wow. If we severed Bernie's head off, I don't think it would look good. <laughs> I think it would look good. And there are people today who say, oh, yeah, I, li- I like Jesus. I don't like the church. <laughs> Hebrews 10.25, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, not, not this kind of, oh, yeah, I, I go to church, yeah, yeah, but, you know, I like to have a bit of leisure as well, so I, I try and get there once a month. Mm. What's that? <laughs> I mean, when people say that to me, it's like, I want to slap them. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I love the church because the church is God's family. And however dysfunctional our family is, they are still our family. Yeah, come on. The giant redwood trees in the US have shallow roots. How then can they stay strong and not topple over without deep roots? It's because, and the reason is, the redwood trees are connected together by their roots. And since they are connected together at the roots, they are able to stand strong and withstand the storms of the wind. And as Christians, when we are rooted together in Christ, we are able to withstand difficulties because we are connected together. 
I love the church. And because I love the church, I will submit to the leaders of the church. Hebrews 13 verse 7, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Because I love the church, I will work to advance the church. Matthew 16 verse 18, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon the rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Because I love the church, I will support the church. I will support the church prayerfully, I will support the church verbally, and I will support the church financially. Are we preparing the bride to meet the bridegroom? Bernie, thanks very much. Revelation 19 verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Let us speak proudly about the bride. Let us speak positively about the bride. Let us not speak negatively. Let us not put her down. Let us not, how, you know, how, how would I feel if somebody spoke negatively about my wife? Don't you dare speak negatively about my wife. In the same way, let us stand for the church. Let us love the church. Let us be proud of the church. Let us serve the church. If you, if you have a tendency to put the church down, if you've had a tendency to be very negative about the church, if you've had a kind of a very, uh, almost like an un, uncommitted commitment to the church, unreliable commitment to the church, but you're saying, hey, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to speak positively and I want to be wholeheartedly committed to my church in every way, prayerfully, verbally, commit myself to serve the church, to prepare her for the bridegroom. If you've had a tendency to be negative in those areas, but now you wanna be positive in those areas, please stand up now, stand. Lord Jesus, we pray for every person here who's standing who, and they're saying to you, Lord, that they want to be positive and they want to be committed both to you and your church. And we pray, Lord, release them from the past and those things that have caused them to think things in a certain way, just deliver them from that. And we pray, Lord God, that you will give them a great burden, a great passion, and a great compassion for the bride. And we pray for all of us, Lord God, that you will show us our part in how we can play our part to prepare the bride for your return. And we pray we ask this 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's powerful, isn't it? Such a great reminder of the church and how important it is to God. Throughout history and in our lifetime, harm has been experienced from the church. But I know that the good outweighs that. And personally, I have good things in my life as a result of being in church, in the house of God. When I first came to C3 at Hepburn Heights years ago, I was a really broken girl. I had been really hurt and I felt so damaged. And I used to say to Steve, if they're describing me, they'd probably go, oh, she's the crying girl. And, you know, every opportunity that I had to go down the front for prayer and there was an altar, I was there and I was just continuing to receive healing. And as I kept coming, it strengthened my belief in people and in the church. And I'm getting stronger, you know, I'm still human, but I live by God's grace. And am I still assailed by life and have negative thoughts that hit me? Yes, I'm a woman. <laughs> but from what I'm learning from the church, the Bible, the Word of God, and the strength I receive from the Holy Spirit and prayer, I'm overcoming. I've been blessed with an amazing husband and three beautiful kids that they in turn love church. And you know, living life, being married, bringing up kids, it's overwhelming sometimes. But I know that I have a good marriage because of what I've seen modelled in the church. I've been given wisdom, insight and encouragement for parenting at church. And what I've been taught has helped me to make good choices for my financial world and other areas of my life. Church has given me a connection with incredible people, yes, you, <laughs> who in turn are learning and trying to reflect God's nature and love in all that you do as well. And together we can do so much to make a difference to show the love of Jesus. And most importantly, I love church because it's a place where you can discover Jesus Christ. Knowing what he did for me, dying on the cross of Calvary, giving his life, taking my sins so I could have a relationship God, with God. That's such a manifestation of love that I can never understand or repay. And it's in, transformed my life. You know, I have a personal relationship with Jesus and this brings me joy and peace. And I can't fully comprehend or understand that. He's given me love and shown my worth and value and continues to give me significance. He's my best friend who will never leave me, never forsake me. And he's placed me in a spiritual family, the family of God, the church. And I'm so blessed to have this experience and lifestyle of connection. You know, early in the year during Beyond, we had many people from our congregation walk along here with their cardboard testimonies, showing us how they used to be through, but then turned it over, but through attending church, a change had, change had occurred, usually over a period of time, and their feelings and attitudes had become positive, and they'd become better people. And we saw phrases like, from fearful to faith-filled, rejected to worthy, from empty to purposeful and fulfilled. Maybe you've been in church, but you've been hurt, you've been let down. Or maybe you've drifted away from your relationship with God, moved from an intimate relationship to Jesus to just sort of turning up sometimes on a Sunday because that's what you do or you come along with the kids. Or you become quite cynical about what goes on in church. You may even have some stinky attitudes and you may recognise yourself in something that Jay Johns mentioned and you're thinking now, wow, that, that's me, I've been a little bit critical of the bride. 
Well, God wants to turn that around, back to how it should be. So I want to pray for you today. So with every eye closed, no one looking around. God, I thank you for this opportunity today to share about your church, the love of your life. God, we know that harm has been done in the name of the church and we ask that you bring healing where it is needed in those circumstances. And today, Lord, I present your people to you. God, you know that some are hurting, some are not feeling accepted or are disappointed, been offended, or they even just feel numb to you. And we ask that as we bring these things to you today, you would begin the healing process. So if this is you, that something I've touched upon resonates with you and you want it to change, just while no one's looking, just pop your hand up and place it down and God will see it. Thank you. Thank you, God. God, I thank you for the courage of these ones to be honest with you and to give these issues over to you, to let you replace the negative stuff with your forgiveness, grace and love. Bring healing, God. Help us to lift our eyes off our circumstances and look to Jesus and remember it's real, what it's all really about, to be grateful for what God has done in our life and for the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross for us, transforming our lives, helping us to live our best life. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more of our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, head to c3hh.com.au forward slash give.